I'm delighted to be with you today, and we are going to turn our thoughts once again to the word of the Lord. I invite you to uh, follow as I read this passage from Ezra, uh, chapter 7, the first 10 verses. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. I have to warn you before I do this that there are lots and lots and lots of Hebrew names in this passage. And I'm probably going to butcher those names. But my guess is you probably won't know. So just pretend I didn't say that. But before we dive in, let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we come again to your word, this word that is life itself. Uh, this word that teaches us what we are to believe and how we are to live. So I pray, Father, that as we spend time in your word this morning, that you will spend time in our hearts and our minds, that you would uh, teach us, encourage us, inspire us, that we might grow into being the people you've called us to be, doing the things that you've called us to do. And I offer this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The word of the Lord. Now, after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Saraiah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Mariath, son of Zechariah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest, this Ezra went up from Babylonia. Now, here's my question this morning. Is there any doubt which Ezra we're talking about? Okay. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given, and the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. So there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Now we learn a a great deal about Ezra in this short few verses. Uh, And I want to start by pointing out these these three things Uh, Uh, The ESV refers to this as things that Ezra had set his heart to or had devoted himself to. Three things. It says he set his heart in verse 10 to study the law of the Lord, to do it or, or live it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Uh, Why did God choose Ezra? for the particular role that he was to play? Well, because of his devotion 
to these three things, the study of the word of the God, of God, the living of the word of God, the teaching of the word of God. And we find that Ezra had some very unique qualifications. Uh, we're told earlier in the passage two things about Ezra. One is that he was a descendant of Aaron. He was in the priestly line, a descendant of Aaron, the original high priest. Now, we're also told that he was skilled in the law of Moses. Now, I find it very interesting that God phrases it in this way in his word, uh, because Aaron and Moses were brothers. But there's no mention here of Ezra being a descendant of Moses. He's a descendant of Aaron because God is emphasizing the priestly role that Aaron, that Ezra would play. But also that he was indeed skilled in the law of Moses. He was a scribe. So what we have in this person of Ezra is the embodiment of both Aaron and Moses. Now, what did Aaron and Moses do? Well, in tandem, they led the people of God out of captivity in a foreign land to the promised land. And now we find Ezra is going to be involved in a very similar project. We might even think of this as Exodus 2. Ezra, the embodiment of Aaron and Moses is going to play a part in leading the people of God out of captivity in a foreign land, Babylonia, back to the promised land. So I want you to think this morning about place and time and the hand of God. You know, we're told twice in this package, in this passage, that the hand of God was upon Ezra. Well, let's talk about place and time for a moment. A couple of basic concepts I'd like to share with you. One is this. God does not exist to serve his people. God's people exist to serve him. I think it's very important that we have that perspective in view. Now, it's not that we don't benefit from what God does for us, what God does in us. But the bottom line is God is not here for us. We are here for God. And God's priority is not our happiness, not our fulfillment. God's priority is his glory. That's the thing that God seems to guard the most. Uh, how do we know that? Well, for one thing, we have the Ten Commandments out of Exodus 20, the first four of which speak very strongly to this commitment that we have to God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above or that is earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Uh, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day 
to keep it holy. God is very serious about his glory. Now, another way that we know they know this is in the account of the kings of, of both Israel and Judah. We find this in 1 Kings, for example, uh, chapter 15, uh, some very interesting verses. Uh, I'm just going to share some snippets here. Uh, verse 9, in the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa began to reign over Judah. And he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Abishalom. And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. Now connect that with verse 25. Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, began to reign over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel two years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Let's take one more. Uh, verse 33. In the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Basha, the son of Ahijah, began to reign over all Israel in Terzah, and he reigned 24 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. You're starting to see a pattern here? You know, as God is sharing with us uh, the account of the various kings of Judah and of Israel, uh, there is one particular uh, item that's being noted. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, or he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Well, what's the dividing line? What determined whether or not uh, a king did what was right in the eyes of the Lord or what was evil in the eyes of the Lord? Well, it had to do with how that king led the nation in the worship of God. Those who worshipped God authentically were deemed kings that had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Kings that allowed the, the pagan practices of the other nations that surrounded them influenced their worship, influenced their, their temple life or their religious life. Those kings are named as those who did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Well, wait a minute. What else did these kings do? Don't you think that kings did more than simply tend to worship? Yes, kings did lots of things. But all of those things get lumped into a secondary category, and they're described like this. For Asa, for example, it says this. Now the rest of the acts of Asa, all his might, all that he did, the cities he built... Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? Okay, in other words, what God is saying is, what's important to me is how these kings led the people in worship. Anything else you want to know about these kings, look it up. It's in the book of the chronicles. Go to the library. Go to Wikipedia. Anything else that you want to know about these kings, fine. But what's important to me is, was I worshipped truly and authentically, or was I not? God is concerned about his glory. Now, 
The time of Ezra was the time in which the nation of Israel was in exile. And we find that many of the figures that we encounter in the Bible served God quite faithfully while in exile. That group includes Ezra, it includes Nehemiah, Esther, Jeremiah, Daniel. The list goes on and on and on of significant leaders who served God while in exile. But here's the question. Why were the Jews in exile? Why were they carried off? Well, because they had been unfaithful. They were not serving God. They were not glorifying God. The result was they were conquered by foreign nations and carried off into exile. So, what was the result of the exile? Well, the people of God were scattered. The population was depleted. The economy was in shambles. Now, when when the exile took place, it's not that every single man, woman, and child among the Israelites was taken off into captivity. There was a selection process. Uh, the conquering nation would simply cart off those people that they thought would be a benefit to them. So you might summarize it like this. The, the best and brightest of Israel were carried off into captivity while just the regular folks were more or less left to tend uh, for themselves. These were the poor. These were the unskilled. These were the uneducated. These folks would be unable to recover from the conquest. And so they would become no threat to the conquering nation. Now, the temple was in ruins. Ceremonial life had been destroyed. That's what was happening in the time of Ezra. Well, what about place? Well, the best and the brightest of Israel were off serving foreign kings in foreign lands. But God, who is always the right God, was ready to restore his people in Jerusalem back to the promised land. Now, I want to run through a little bit of a travelogue here, historical context. In 722 B.C., the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered by Assyria. Exile. 150 years later, 586 B.C., the southern kingdom of Judah was conquered by Babylon. And they were carried off to Babylonia, later conquered by Persia. Now, in the 5th century B.C., three very significant people uh, rose to positions of great responsibility, both to their foreign kings, but more importantly, to God himself. Ezra, we've already talked about. He was a priest. He was a scribe in Babylonia. Nehemiah was serving as cupbearer to the king. Now, what does a cupbearer do? You know what that job is? You know, I have cup holders in my car. We're talking about something altogether different. The cup bearer was the taste tester. You know, anything that was going to go into the mouth of the king first went into the mouth of the cup bearer. 
And he wasn't testing to see if, you know, there was enough salt. He was checking to see if this wine or this meat or whatever was poisoned. And if Nehemiah was to drop dead, Artaxerxes would say, I'll have something else. Now, in this culture, it was very, very common for royalty to be assassinated. So he played a very, very important role for King Artaxerxes. So we had Ezra, we had Nehemiah, we also had Esther, Queen of Persia. Well, what did Esther do? Well, there was a plot to exterminate the Jews, to eliminate the Jews from the face of the earth. But Esther intervened through the prodding of her uncle Mordecai. And we see that famous phrase, uh, perhaps you've been put at a place like this for such a time as this. Time and place are very important in the unfolding of redemptive history. Now, here's the thing. I don't know if you've thought about this before, but, you know, there's a prophecy in the book of Micah. Micah chapter 5, and it says this. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Now, who is this one who's going to come out of Bethlehem to be the ruler of his people, the savior of his people? We're talking about Jesus, right? Jesus is going to come out of Bethlehem to his people in Jerusalem. Problem, logistical snag. Israel's not home. The best and the brightest of Israel are not in Israel. They're in captivity. They're in exile. So this is a logistical challenge for God. How is the Messiah going to come out of Bethlehem to his people when his people are not in Israel? God has got to get his people back to the promised land. And how is he going to do that? Well, Esther's going to step up and save the people from annihilation. Nehemiah is going to step up and lead the logistical uh, transfer of people back to Jerusalem, rebuilding that city, rebuilding that wall, establishing an infrastructure. Ezra is going to return to Israel and bring with him the authority of both Aaron and Moses. He's going to reestablish the law of God as the law of the land. He's going to reinstitute uh, the ceremonial life of the people of Israel. And with Israel back home and operating much as it had before the exile, Israel will be primed for one who will come out of Bethlehem 
and become the ruler of his people. Esther was in the right place at the right time with the right God. Nehemiah was in the right place at the right time with the right God. Ezra, right place, right time, right God. Ezra's qualifications were that he was a descendant of Aaron, skilled in the law of Moses. And he had devoted himself to studying the word of God, to living the word of God, and teaching the word of God. Now, what I want to do this morning in sort of pulling all these pieces together, I want to move the devotion of Ezra into a New Testament context. You see, Ezra lived long before the coming of Christ. And so Ezra's Ezra's ministry was targeting the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, people that had been chosen by God, uh, the chosen people of God that were somewhat segregated from other nations. And so we're told that Ezra studied the law of God and he lived it, but he then taught it throughout Israel. Well, what we need to understand with the coming of Christ, the incarnation of Jesus, is the door open for the word of God to go well beyond the nation of Israel. The word of God now went everywhere, not just to the Jew, but to the Gentile, to all nations. And so when we look at that simple phrase, study the word of God, live the word of God, teach the word of God. The idea of teaching the word of God has expanded to sharing the word of God with everyone. And that's what we're being called to do here in our day. Like Ezra, we are to study the word of God. Like Ezra, we are to live the word of God, but expanding on the teaching ministry of Ezra, we are to share the word of God. As Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. And so this this lifestyle, this commitment, this devotion of Ezra in our day takes on a slightly new meaning. And so the question that I think we have to wrestle with in our day is not simply how do we get people from the community to come into our church, but how do we get people from our church to go into our community to share this word of the Lord? Now, here's what I believe this morning. I'll leave you with this. I believe that this church is in the right place at the right time with the right God. Now is the time for this church, the people of this church, 
to truly be committed, truly be devoted to studying the Word of God, living the Word of God, and sharing the Word of God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for the challenge that you put before us. Those of us who have come into the family of God have have come into a magnificent inheritance, an eternal inheritance, an inheritance of peace and truth and and uh, and love and grace and mercy. But Father, we want to be part of part of your ministry that carries this to others. And so I would pray for your blessing on the leadership and the people of First EPC here in Roanoke, that they might indeed follow the example of an Esther, of a Nehemiah, of an Ezra, and truly carry this word to go and make disciples. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.